Good morning. How is everyone this morning? Good. My name is Whitney. I am one of the teaching pastors here at Connect. And if this is your first time here, we want to welcome you. We are so glad that you decided to spend your Sunday morning with us. And if you're watching online, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I don't know if I introduced myself. If I did, I'm going to do it again. My name is Whitney. I'm one of the teaching pastors. Um, did I say that? Okay. Just so you guys know, just my name, just if you have any questions later. Um, okay, so... I've told this story here before when we moved into our house a couple years ago, but I, I want to say, like, we moved in the jackpot of neighborhoods. The location is wonderful, but the reason why we got so lucky is because our neighbors around us. We knew some people before we moved in, but we got to pretty much know everyone else. The, the more we got to meet them, um, and we became family, we became friends. And let me kind of paint a picture of what this neighborhood is. So on weekends during the summer, we have people knocking on our door at 8 o'clock in the morning for kids for our kids to play. Um, we have about 70 bikes in our front yard at a time. Um, and our kids are playing. Half the time, we don't even know where our kids are at. They're at someone's house, but I trust that they're in the neighborhood. Um, and then we have neighbors that truly look up. We look after each other. If, if you're sick, we want to know how you're doing. We, we check in on each other. If someone's baking and needs sugar or flour, you can call the neighbor across the street and they will give you a cup of sugar. I've never had to do that because I don't bake and, and no one has asked me for flour or sugar. But I hear that's what happens. I hear if I ever need sugar, I could go across the street. Um, but we truly live in one of the best neighborhoods. Now, there's a catch. There is a catch. There is something wrong with our neighborhood. Um, and basically is if you're wanting to take a trip, if you're wanting to get away for the weekend or go on vacation, there is a cost. When you take a trip, you're going to come home and you're going to find something done to your house. It could be inside, it could be outside, but something is going to be done to your house. And I want to tell you what I mean by that. I'm going to give you some examples of what has happened. Um, when a family has gone on vacation, they have come home and there's Christmas lights on their house. There is um, jack-o'-lanterns on a light pole. Last time we left, I came in. I came home to a, a gnome in my front landscape. It's still there, by the way, Ashley Mahoney. I need to give that back to you. Um, but we've had some crazy things happen. And I'm going to tell you who's the worst. It's those Mahoney's. They're cutthroat. They are cutthroat. And Brad is on our management team, just so you guys all know. Um, but they are cutthroat. Um, before we moved in, I heard the story that our neighbors across the street, um, and I want to tell you, we're not just breaking in people's houses. We have the keys because we're watching a dog or bringing in the mail or something. But our neighbors across the street, they went on vacation, and apparently the Mahoney's were watching their house. And from what I understand, Brad went into this house and replaced all of their family photos with pictures of himself. <laughs> I'm calling you out, Brad. And it wasn't just pictures of Brad. It was like his old baseball picture or his family picture. And the crazy thing is, from what I understand, and I'll talk to you later about this, but I don't think they knew for weeks, which is strange because I feel like we would know right away if Brad Mahoney was all over our house. Um, so with them being so cutthroat, we um, were like, okay, we, we've got to get them back. 
So when we moved in our house, we were gifted a free gift, and our shed in the back was a whole nativity scene. A whole nativity scene. And this just wasn't any nativity scene. These are like life-size people, okay? And I love the nativity scene. Don't get me wrong. It is beautiful. But I I don't want to decorate with it outside my front yard. And I can't throw it away. So I kept it for a rainy day. And the perfect time came where I'm like, I'm going to use this nativity scene. So the Mahoney's are on vacation. And my friend is watching their house, the dog, all the things. And um, we put, we get this wagon and we put all of the the nativity scene characters in this wagon. And we're wheeling it across to the Mahoney's house. And we thought, wouldn't it be funny if we put all these people, all the characters around their house. And when they came home, they would see these. So um, I remember a couple of them. I remember Mary. And keep in mind, these are like life size. So Mary was in their girls' room, and she was sitting on their dressing table looking in the mirror. And so when the girls came home, Mary was staring back at them. And then um, I think um, Joseph might have been, I think Joseph was on the back patio grilling, if if I'm right. One of the wise men was sitting on the couch. and then I remember another wise man, they have this big open walk-in shower. We placed him there. So we're so excited. We're like, oh, my goodness. Like, they're going to think this is so funny, and this is one of the best ones yet. And um, we didn't hear from them. We didn't hear from them until the next day. And here's what happens. And parents, you know this. When you are traveling a long road trip, especially after a long vacation, and you your kids are exhausted, they're tired, they're cranky, you just want to get home. This is what happened to them. They're driving home, and their kids are just, they've had it. So they get home, and um, I think I, it was their middle son, Luke, he was just exhausted, and they got home really, really late at night, and they went to, Luke is like, okay, I'm going to take a shower, almost losing it. He walks into the shower and sees a wise man there and just lost it. So Ashley was not happy about that, and I think they went to go take their dog out, Olive, and Olive was barking in the back and wouldn't go to the back, and really, we found out it was because Joseph was out grilling on their patio, and um, so... I, I, I will say I think we got him back, but um, I do not think they were happy about that. So, again, our neighborhood's great, but it does come at a cost. And isn't that just like the world we live in? We, we want revenge, okay? If you do something to me, you know I'm going to get you back. If you go low, you better believe I'm going to go lower. It's an eye for an eye, If someone does something wrong to you, you're going to do something wrong back. It's society we live in. We are even pitted against each other. Okay, you go here, you go here, and you have to hate each other in the middle. And it's crazy that we, even as Christians, we have become great judges of other people's sin and great lawyers of our own. I'm going to tell you exactly what you did wrong and where you did it, but I'm going to definitely justify my sin. And when Jesus stepped on the scene, he flipped everything upside down. When Jesus stepped on the scene, he flipped everything upside down. And the teachings of Jesus were so countercultural to the way that we are told to believe today. And this is the, the series we're in is called Upside Down. And that's what we're talking about. And we've been um, week after week looking at the Beatitudes, which is a series of blessings. And the Beatitudes was the opening of the famous Sermon of the Mount. 
And week by week, we've heard from Dave of each beatitude and how they have built on top of each other. So the first four beatitudes is what we like to look at is the root. It's the root of us being Christians. Week one, Dave talked about um, blessed are the poor in spirit, which basically we learned that we need to realize and understand that we aren't enough, that we fall short of the glory of God. We need his power. We need his love. We can't do it on our own. And then week two, he talked about blessed are those who mourn. Once we realize that we're poor in spirit, we mourn our shortcomings. We mourn our sins. And then week three came, and and that built on top of the one before, and we learned that meekness is not weakness, but it's we need to come to God humbly with humility. And then last last week, Dave talked about once we have the roots built on top of each other, we realize that we are hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness. We're hungry and thirsty for God's relationship. And those are the root. And we need to make sure that those root, the four beatitudes, are strong. And then what happens after the root? Well, it produces fruit. And I get to talk about that first fruit today, and which means basically once we become a Christian, um, we, we show this fruit and we must take action on it. And today I'm going to be talking about blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So let's talk about what mercy is not. Mercy is, it's not being passive. Mercy does not make you a doormat. Mercy or forgiveness does not mean you have to forget. That does not mean that. You do not have to sweep things under the rug. It's not saying that what someone did to you wasn't wrong. You can forgive someone and create healthy boundaries and rebuild trust and relationship over time. And here's the thing about forgiveness. There is nothing fair about forgiveness. There's nothing fair about forgiveness. It is not a natural thing. What's fair is to pay them back. Okay, you hurt me, you better believe I'm coming after you. That's what's fair. You hurt me, I hurt you back. But there is nothing fair about forgiveness. And the funny thing is, we want God to be fair to other people, but we, we don't want God to be fair to us. Because if God was fair to us, we would definitely get what our sins deserve. God's always just, but he's not fair. So in Psalm 103, it says this starting in verse 10, he, which is God, does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. This is saying he does not treat us as what we deserve. He has removed our sins so far away from us. So God is just, but he's definitely not fair. And here's the difference, because I think a lot of people get mercy and grace confused. So mercy is the act of withholding something. Listen, you truly deserve this, but I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to withhold it from you. And grace is giving an unmerited gift that you don't deserve. You don't deserve this, but I'm going to give you this gift anyways, because you're a child of God. And we don't just give out mercy so we can get it. That's not what we do as Christians. We don't just give out mercy so we can get something in return. We give out mercies because we got it in the first place. Forgiving 
is giving others what God gave us. God just doesn't let it flow to us. He lets it flow through us. God's mercy just doesn't flow to us. It flows through us. So my question here this morning is I want you to think on is how's your flow? How's your flow this morning? That is what I want you to ponder on this morning. So in um, Matthew, Peter comes up to Jesus, and he has a question, as he always does. And, and Peter says, Lord, okay, I need to know this. How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Like, how many times do you want me to? Like, seven times? Thinking that's a really big number. Surely it can't be seven times. And this is how Jesus answered. He says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And Jesus always tells stories. He, he, we call them parables. And parables are basically um, a story that has a, a kingdom meaning, a kingdom lesson, but in a worldly way that you and I can grasp. So in Matthew chapter 18, he wants us to fully understand what mercy means. So starting in verse 23, it says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began with the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. So 10,000 bags of gold today would be millions of dollars, a lot of money, and most likely a debt that could not be repaid. I mean, you could work every day until the rest of your life, and you most likely could not pay this debt back. Verse 25, it says this, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this time, the servant fell on his knees before him and he says, be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. And this is truly what mercy is. This is truly what mercy is. Mercy is compassion plus action. Mercy is compassion plus action. So what did the master do? Well, he took pity on him. He showed compassion. And then he took action. He canceled the debt and let him go. Mercy is compassion plus action. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. Okay, so this is way, 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 way less than what he owed. Maybe thousands of dollars in today's world. And this is a lot of money still, don't get me wrong, but you could probably eventually pay back this debt. So this is what the servant did. He grabbed him and began to choke him. And he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Okay, the guy who just got forgiven his money that he owned found a servant of his own who owed him way, way, way less. And he said, give me back what you owe me. His fellow servant did the same thing. He fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and they told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? 
In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And he's saying, you want to know what mercy is? This is what mercy is. And he ends the story with this. His takeaway of this story is, he's saying, listen, if you can grasp anything, this is what you need to grasp. This is how Jesus ends it. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat you, will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So how do we do this? We're clearly called to do this. So as Christians, how do we do this? Because it's easier said than done. The first thing is we need to remind ourselves. We need to remind ourselves like every single day of the mercy that God gave us. Compassion and mercy, it's, it's a choice. It's not just a feeling. It's something that you have to decide to do every single day. And I think a really great way to do this is waking up and realizing God's mercies are new. And, and when you pray in the morning, and hopefully you find that time to connect with God in the morning or sometime of the day, and you use the Lord's prayer as an outline. And maybe you don't say it word for word, but you can use it as an outline. So during the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus is teaching his disciples, listen, here's how I want you to pray. I'm going to teach you how to pray. And this is what he says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And, and listen to verse 12 here. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is part of the Lord's prayer. As we ask for forgiveness, we in turn have to forgive. There's other translations that says verse 12 is this, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Another translation says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is part of the Lord's prayer. So this is a way that you can remind yourself every single morning. And he doesn't just stop there. After he's teaching his disciples how to pray, he gives a little commentary of one of the verses, which shows us that this is important. He wants us to grasp this so much. So he says, listen, I want to go back to verse 12 here. And Jesus says this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others that sin against you, your heavenly father will not forgive your sins. I'm going to say that again because I feel like this is pretty weighty. It says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other sins, your heavenly father will not forgive your sins. This is a warning that Jesus is giving us as Christians of what we must do. And if we don't do it, what could happen or what would happen? So again, it's, it's easier said than done because what would be easy, it'd be easy to hold a grudge. That's easy. It'd be easy to live in bitterness for the rest of our life. It would be easy to rehearse every single day what you would say to that person who hurt you. If you ever saw them again, what you would say to them. It's easy to walk in hatred and unforgiveness. That's easy. It takes faith to forgive. So we must pray for faith. We've got to pray for faith because it takes faith to forgive. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he's teaching them as he always does, and he's helping them understand, listen, you're going to be hurt. 
You're going to be hurt, so just expect it. You're going to be disappointed. In fact, someone close to you is probably going to betray you at least once. So in Luke 17, um, it says this. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. He goes on to say, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you, and get this, 77 times in a day, or seven times a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. He's very clear in what he's saying. He said, listen, if your brother or sister in Christ sins against you like a bazillion times a day, but they repent a bazillion times that day, you must forgive them. So this is how the apostles responded. They said, increase our faith. If that is what you want me to do, and if that's what we're expected to do, I need you to increase our faith. Because it takes faith to forgive. So let's make it personal here this morning. Because I know we each have our things. So who betrayed you? Who hurt you? Who took advantage of you? Who maybe lied to you or behind your back lied about you? Did a spouse you, you love and you trusted, did they betray your trust? Maybe an authority figure in your life that you were supposed to or who they were supposed to protect you did something unthinkable to you. Who was that person and what did they do? And are we truly supposed to forgive something that is so unforgivable when they don't deserve it at all. And if we're supposed to, and it's clearly saying that we're supposed to, how do we do it? How do we forgive when we don't feel like forgiving? There's a Christian author by the name of C.S. Lewis, he says this, and this pretty much sums up this whole message here. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has given the inexcusable in you. So I, I have permission to tell this story because it's not my story to tell. Um, but most of you guys know um, our, my husband and I's story. We started dating in high school when we were both 15. And um, I was very close with his family, his mom, his stepdad. And, and they were involved in everything. They came to games. They did not miss a thing. Um, but it was really weird because his, his real dad was never around. <clears throat> and I think I met him one time at a baseball game, maybe when I was 16. Um, but then he just was never around. He was out of the picture. And we haven't seen him or talked to him in years and years and years and years. So after we got married, Jeff confided in me something that I know he's been holding on to for a really, really, really long time. And it was time that he started telling his story and, and start a healing process. But he told me, and again, I'm not going to get into details because this is his story to tell. But he told me that his real dad abused him for several, several years as a kid. And hurt him. And he was supposed to be the dad where 
he could trust, he could go to, he could feel safe with, he can play baseball in the backyard with, but instead he hurt him for several, several years as a kid. And even though they don't have a relationship, he's still hanging on to that emotionally and mentally. And and he knows as a Christian, listen, I know I'm a Christian and I know I must forgive, but how can I forgive someone who truly did something unforgivable? How do you want me to do that? He um, is even one of those people who he, he is, I am pretty sure he's rehearsed several, several times in his head. If I ever saw him again, this is what I would say to him. And he's held so much hatred in, in his heart. But again, he knows he's supposed to forgive, but, but how? How do you forgive when truly it's something so unforgivable like what he went through? And I know each of us have a story of what that is and who that is. And when we ask ourselves, I think we need to go back to that first beatitude that we've been learning about for the past five weeks. If we truly are to forgive, we need to realize, one, that we're poor in spirit. We are not enough. We're never going to be enough. We need God. And then we need to take that next step in our root of faith, and we need to um, mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. We need to realize that we are fallen short of the glory of God. We need to mourn our sins, and then we need to come humbly to our Father. And then once we build on top of each other, we will continue to thirst and hunger for, for, for God's righteousness. And once we have that strong root, that's what produces the fruit for us to forgive. That's where we produce the fruit to show mercy because God showed mercy to us. So we got to start with the root and strengthen that. So we can produce the fruit and forgive. I mean, we, we look at the story of Jesus and he hung on the cross on his last days. And, and people were mocking him and spitting at him and beating him. And what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve to die. So the reason we're asked to forgive is because God loves us so much. That's why we forgive is because God loves us so much and he loves us too much to leave us hurt and to leave us broken. And yes, forgiveness is for the person who is forgiven, but truly it's for the person who forgives so they can be set free. And forgiveness does not change the past. My husband's past does not change because he forgives, but it does set him free to move forward. There's an author by the name of Max Lucado, and he wrote a book called God's Roadmap for New Beginnings, and it says this. It says, part of you is broken, the other part is bitter. Part of you wants to cry, and part of you wants to fight. The tears you cry are hot because they come from your heart, where there is fire burning. It's the fire of anger. It's blazing. It's consuming. Its flames leap up under a steaming pot of revenge. And you are left with the decision. Do I put the fire out or do I heat it up? Do I get over it or do I get even? Do I release it or do I resent it? Do I let my hurts heal or do I hurt or do I turn the hurt into hate? Resentment is the deliberate decision to nurse the offense until it becomes a black, furry, growling grudge. And he ends with this. Unfaithfulness is wrong. Revenge is bad. 
But the worst part of it all is that without forgiveness, bitterness is all that's left. Unfaithfulness is wrong, revenge is bad, but the worst part of it all, without forgiveness, bitterness is all that's left. So I just scratched the surface this morning of what the Bible says about forgiveness. There's a lot more where that's at, but God is clearly telling us as Christians, we must forgive. He lets mercy flow to us, so we should let mercy flow through us. So how is your flow? We are called to leave here this morning and be ministers of mercy. That's what we're called to do, is to leave here and be ministers of mercy every single day and stop looking out of the lens of a worldly view and start looking through the lens of Jesus and the love of Jesus and embrace something that the world does not want us to embrace. So as a reminder, Jesus brought our balance to zero. And we are called to be the ministers of mercy to lead others to the person, to the process where they can have a zero balance as well. We point them to Jesus. So as I close out in prayer this morning, I I ask that you put someone in your mind, on your heart that you have a grievance with. And maybe it's something you've held on to for so long or um, whatever that is. Hopefully this spoke to you this morning of, listen, you know, I'm working on my root here, but I got to start producing the fruit of mercy because clearly I'm called to forgive. And maybe you just ask God, hey, increase my faith. If I'm really supposed to do what you're asking me to do, I need you to increase my faith so I can forgive. So as we close out in prayer, I just pray that that person is laid on your heart this morning um, and God can help you with that process of being merciful. Let's pray. Lord, just thank you for just teaching us what it means to be merciful. Lord, you have given us a clear message and a clear path of what we need to do as Christians, but Lord, it's easier said than done. I pray that everybody here um, continues to strengthen their root with the the beatitudes that we've learned here um, in these past several weeks so we can produce the fruit that you want us to produce. But Lord, we're asking for faith. We're asking for you to increase our faith because we are poor in spirit and we cannot do this alone. We need your help, Lord. So I pray that um, whatever you flow to us, we have the strength to let it flow through us, Lord. Lord, I just pray for hearts here this morning um, and relationships that are, are broken, Lord. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.